Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Tambua. My name is Danson Otawa. In this episode, I am going to be talking to you about why Arianism back then matters now. Our focus is actually going to be on the Jehovah's Witnesses. At the heart of many major heretical teachings is this very important question. Who is Christ? By allowing a distorted version of who Christ is, we run the risk of distorting our understanding of how we, sinful people, can be reconciled to the absolutely holy God. Now, distorting the identity and divinity of Christ is nothing new. Church history attests to this fact, and the church's zealous defense of who Christ is signals the importance of getting it right. One such case was the controversy of the 4th century concerning Arianism. But these debates are not simply for the history books or lecture halls. Many modern false teaching movements are little more than reprisals of ancient heresies. This is especially true of Arianism and Jehovah's Witnesses. By making this case, I hope to demonstrate more than this well-established link, convincing you that an awareness of heresies guards us against destructive theology. Now, who did the early Christians think that Christ was? Did they believe that he was God? You see, the first 300 years of Christianity were not without their share of controversies regarding the nature of Jesus Christ. One such was the Arian controversy. This will be our focus today. The Arian controversy featured three men. An Egyptian teacher named Arius, who lived between 256 and 336 AD. Alexander, the Bishop of Alexandria, who lived between 250 and 326 AD. And Alexander's assistant, the theologian Athanasius, who lived between 298 to 373 AD. To begin our conversation, we will focus on the idea of the Son of God. How did Arianism understand the Son of God? You see, Arius and Alexander agreed that Jesus was the Son of God. In addition to this, they agreed that he was the God who created the universe. Their controversy arose from what they thought about God the Son in relation to God the Father. The question might be put like this. In what sense was Christ God? You see, for Arius... Jesus Christ was a created being. Though he was the firstborn of creation, 
Christ was not eternal. Working this argument from Colossians 1.15, Arius held that God the Son was the Father's first creation and that through the Son, the Father created everything else. Sure, this afforded the Son a unique status in God's creation, but he was nevertheless created and therefore not eternal. Therefore, Arius taught that the Father's divinity was greater than the Son's divinity. In fact, he wrote, and I quote, If the Father begot the Son, he that was begotten had a beginning of existence. And from this, it is evident that there was a time when the Son was not. What was the church's response to Arianism at Nicaea? Now, Alexander, who was the bishop in Alexandria, refuted Arius' position. He argued that Christ was begotten, but not made. With this, the Son was and is fully equal to the Father. Now, to understand this term begotten, we must first appreciate that it has its origin in the Greek word monogenes. This word is typically translated as only begotten or one of a kind, in other words, unique. For example, the word describes a child's unique relationship with their parent. So the emphasis was always on the relationship and not physical begetting. So in AD 325, the Roman Emperor Constantine convened the first council of Nicaea to resolve this conflict. This was because it was causing considerable disunity in the empire at that point. Again, this council featured these three key leaders, Alexandra of Alexandria, who was accompanied by Athanasius, his assistant, and of course the heretic Arius. There were more than 300 bishops that were convening in this very meeting. The debate raged, but the eventual result was a preliminary version of what we call today the Nicene Creed. This creed affirms both the deity and eternality of Christ, that the Son was of the same substance as the Father. This point, Arianism was condemned. Although Athanasius did not write the Nicene Creed, he actively participated in championing its theology. He championed this very theology against the heretics who taught Arianism at the First Council of Nicaea. Much later on, Athanasius' name was given to what we now know as the Athanasian Creed, which is an even more forceful rejection of Arius' false teachings on Jesus. Now you must be asking yourself, why was this such a big deal? Putting it simply, if Jesus Christ is not God, salvation is impossible. 
Arianism attacked the core of Christianity, Christ himself. The foundational question is this. How can one who is a mere creature save sinners? How can a creature redeem other creatures from the wrath of an infinitely holy God? Athanasius asked, what help can creatures derive from a creature that itself needs salvation? The creation of God was corrupted by sin at the fall. By implication, no mere creature of God is able to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. A key verse in this matter is 2 Corinthians 5.21 where Paul writes, and I quote, For our sake he made him be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. End quote. Now, if Jesus Christ, our Savior, is not God incarnate, there is no salvation. Even though it's been thoroughly condemned, the errant heresy continues today. For example, consider the Watchtower Bible Tract Society of the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is an international sect which was founded in the late 19th century by Charles Taze Russell and which has millions of followers across Africa today. In their Watchtower magazine and other publications, the Jehovah's Witnesses attack the deity of Jesus Christ, teaching that Jesus is a created being who is not eternal and who therefore cannot be God. The Jehovah's Witnesses also teach that Jesus Christ was Michael the Archangel. But you see, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God. This is seen in many, many Bible texts. For example, the book of Hebrews 1.8, John chapter 1 verse 1, and John 1.14, John 20.26-18, 20, Acts 20 verse 28, Romans 9 verse 5, and 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. See, you need to be aware that to support their false doctrine, Jehovah's Witnesses often insist on using their dishonest New World translation of the scriptures, which contains both omissions and additions to the Bible. A good example of this is found in the New World translation's rendering of John chapter 1 and verse 1, in which it reads, and I quote, the word was a God. You see, their unjustified addition of the indefinite article a radically changes the meaning of the text, making the Son a kind of subordinate lesser God. Another example can be found in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 16 to 17. Referring to Jesus, the New World Translation renders those verses like this, and I quote, For by means of him, all other things were created, and he is before all other things. But the word other is not present in the original Greek. This word has been added by in the New World Translation to justify the Aryan teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Like Arius himself, they claim that Jesus was the first thing created by Jehovah, 
before all other things were created through him. These unwarranted changes to the words of scripture aren't only deceptive. You see, they will lead followers to destruction. As the Apostle Peter put it in 2 Peter 2 verse 1, I quote, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, end of quote. For us to understand Christianity in its essence, the person and work of Christ is very important. It's crucial. It is indispensable. Why? Because heretical teachings that reject the divinity and humanity of Christ also reject his finished work on the cross. They make salvation impossible. So we must always be alert of false teaching whenever and however it comes. I want to finish this by reminding you of Paul's words of exhortation to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 to 22. Paul says, and I quote, Test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.